0: Good afternoon and welcome to Startup Nation, our weekly show that celebrates innovation and entrepreneurship. Startup Nation is brought to you by Dublin Business Innovation Centre, where ambitious entrepreneurs get support to start and scale their businesses. I'm Connor Carmody. I hope you'll stay with me over the next hour as we explore the emerging technologies that are shaping our future world and we speak directly to founders to understand what does it take to start and scale a business. So today we'll be looking at the future of healthcare, And when you look at the innovations that are taking place in this space, uh, particularly, you know, the move to predictive and personalised healthcare, we're going to see things like the use of AI and robotics to perform routine medical procedures and surgeries, gene editing potentially to prevent illness. We'll see on the spot full body scans to detect a multitude of disease uh, and treatment then of those diseases delivered remotely through wearable or injectable technologies. So it seems to me that in the healthcare space, we're looking at a massive digital transformation on a level that we haven't seen before and with huge benefit for, for humankind. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with our guests here today to hear more about their innovations that they're developing and to help us understand and visualise what the healthcare of the future will look like. Our first guest is Kevin Darcy of Health XL, who'll be joining us in the next minute or so. And following that, we'll move on to our One to Watch segment and we'll be talking to the inspirational Sinead Crowther about her startup Soothing Solutions and how she's built that business from early idea to implementation over the last 24 months. And last but not least, we are delighted to be joined by Jim Joyce of Health Beacon. Jim is a successful entrepreneur and he will be discussing the ins and outs of starting and scaling successfully a healthcare business, not once, but twice. So moving on, let's get started with our Future Scope segment, where we look at that emerging trend or technology and ask our guest expert how it will shape our future lives. And as I mentioned, today we're talking health and the big innovations that will shape our future. I'm delighted to be joined by Kevin Darcy and Kevin is with Health XL and has vast experience in the healthcare field. Kevin, good afternoon and thanks for joining us today.
1: Connor, good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Brilliant. Let's get started. Kevin, we're talking healthcare, we're talking the innovations of the future. And maybe to start us off, if I looked into the future uh, and I looked to 2030, what's going to happen with healthcare and particularly around the technologies and the innovations that you're seeing coming through?
1: Uh, yeah, great, great question, Connor. I'll, I'll, I'll come at it from, from a few different ways maybe. But look, at HealthXL, we live very much in the middle of digital health innovation. So that's the angle that I would be coming at this from. We work with innovators, health systems, pharma companies, medtech companies, they're all figuring out how to solve challenges in healthcare using technology. That's the space. Okay. The recurring theme that are um, that come up in our discussions with these stakeholders is about patient centricity and more actively person centricity in their care. And the catchphrase is, about where about meeting the person where they are, or meeting that patient where they are." So, so that's that's kind of where it comes from. And from 2030, it's not too far off. And probably one th- one of the things we know about healthcare is it takes a long time to, to change and it can be slow particularly in healthcare delivery. So maybe what I would think about this is something that's probably technically achievable now that more needs a mindset change on the part of stakeholders and that's really about kind of taking and that would be about that the new normal isn't, that the default isn't care or clinical interactions have to happen in a physical location to see a doctor but that we really are using virtual care to deliver care to patients where they are that's, that's probably where okay. I get
0: at. let me just go back you said bringing care to where patients are um, just explain because that's a, today I have a problem I go to see my doctor or I go to the hospital or I go somewhere else what does bringing care to patients look like? look I suppose
1: uh, he, very, uh, maybe personalised even more and so for, from, from my own experience here and then we can um, yeah. expand out Present level, and this is how this has probably evolved too, we moved from London about four years ago, getting set up in Dublin, three small kids, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, three-month-old, my wife is sick late in the evening. We've no family nearby, and we've no neighbours nearby that we know. A&E was in, of our mind, but like, logistically, that's a nightmare. Which like, who's going to take care of our kids? So I remember the company that I knew in the UK called Push Doctor, they did virtual GP consultations we sell out our UK credit cards and so I was able to got in, got logged on and in 20 minutes we get a doctor on a video talking to my wife about her symptoms gave us some advice peace of mind said like what could happen when we would need to escalate the interesting thing about this episode was I spent a good deal of time explaining to my wife what a telehealth visit was that it was credible this was safe that you know this was a, a viable way of doing of, of, of having care and this is a care in our home that fitted with our particular situation at that point in time so now fast forward right in the middle of the pandemic last year our kids are developing rashes on their hands from the hand washing and the alcohol gel the difference has been the default was the video consult with the gp check the hand short prescription of steroid ointment all done in our living room prescription sent to the local pharmacy where we collected it super efficient and that that's that's care where the person is I didn't have to go and take the kid down, wait in a waiting room, be potentially exposed to COVID. And and it was we got the outcome that we needed and everybody's happy. And I think that's 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 what I mean by that is like where you really are cognizant of where the what where the, the patient or the person is and not forcing them into into a situation that doesn't suit them, but we actually think about and we can now deliver care where it suits the person.
0: And just thinking about that, uh, presumably one of the concerns about that is losing the personal touch. The technology replaces that one-on-one kind of intervention or interaction that I have with my physician or my GP. Is there a, is there a worry that, that I, I, I kind of lose that touch?
1: So the reality is that this is not the, the, the only interactions that you will have. but it's, And people will still have the same position. And it's not that they'll never go and physically see them person, but it doesn't suit all the time that the only way you can see them is in person. So I think it's, it's been cognizant of what suits people now and they will be, they will build that relationship through kind of in person meetings from time to time. But you know, for a quick checkup, for a quick prescription, you know, for just a, a check in on something, a query on a kind of a, on a chronic condition, the idea of having to take so much time out of your day, what ends up happening is people probably don't do that. Yeah. And it actually that it's worse for, uh, for their care and their outcomes because they they put it off because it's just a bit of a pain and they and they you know that can have a knock-on effect of poor health outcomes for those people in the future
0: We were talking in the intro at the top of the show around you know sub the use of things like AI and robotics and, and body scans and, and indeed you know gene editing what do you see from your perspective as as the big innovations that, that will shape the future? The big, how will technology, what role will it play in, in the future of health?
1: So there's, technology will play a role in every aspect of health. But probably one thing that I'd like to kind of maybe surface that we see in, in our area is, is um this kind of novel treatments that are classed in, as, as around what we call digital therapeutics. Okay. And this is primarily about delivering therapeutic interventions using software. And so there's some really interesting companies now doing in this space, and they're they're looking at developing totally novel ways to treat diseases. So an example would be in the U.S. um, there's a company called Achille Interactive, and they have a treatment, they call it Endeavor OREX. That's kind of the the drug, so to speak, the digital drug. It's a video game. Prescribe to kids with um, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD yeah so instead of them taking a biopharmaceutical drug a uh, traditional drug these kids play this game for a set amount of time each day over a few months and based on clinical trials they prove that this you know improves ADHD symptoms and the FDA have approved it for use in this in this scenario now but the cool thing is about this is that the parents or the guardians are really involved in the treatment too so they have an app they can observe the progress and so they, they're, they're engaged around the, the, the patient or the co- child. So this, this involving caregivers is this added benefit of being able to use these kind of quite novel um, sort of digital interventions as you would call them.
0: And is in, in that particular instance then, does that replace Maybe the drug that previously would have been been given to to children and instead it's a it's it's using a technology maybe to address uh or to help the the child with the symptoms
1: absolutely and that and that's that's that that's the so that that's the it is it is a another option in the armory since it doesn't it, it doesn't preclude the use of 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 traditional treatments in the future but it is a um but the, the it, it is you know, a proven way of using kind of these, um, you know, video game-based stimulations that it has cognitive effects on, 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 the, on, on the child. And there's another company in this area called Cognito Therapeutics. It's like a much earlier stage. So they're using light and sound-based neurostimulation. Um, it's a device that they have, and this is for treatment in Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. And so this, this is, these are, the, the, what we're seeing is this opening up of, of, new ways using software and devices and to deliver care it's primarily happening in that kind of neurospace. space um but uh, you know it's, it's it's incredibly it's the the opportunities we're still just scratching the surface there but the the great thing is the pace of innovation with digital based technologies um is much greater than say the length of time the 10 years it can take to develop a, a traditional biopharmaceutical and uh, and in a lot of cases, the risk profiles are much lower of these of these um, side effect profiles and risk profiles. So, they, there's a there's a greater opportunity to develop these faster and you know and have you know alternative interventions yeah. to traditional biopharmaceuticals.
0: But hearing you talk, it seems on one side we have this technology stream that's pushing ahead at high speed, and on the other side, potentially, we have the existing healthcare system, and they're operating at two very different speeds. So it seems to me that. My question is around: What does the hospital then look like, or the healthcare look like, as it comes up against this fast-moving technology to a slower-moving health system? How does that kind of come together in the period ahead?
1: I, I suppose the like, and, and that's, a, that's that is the, um, the the great kind of um, it is a great question around because what you you're talking about is behavioural and system changes within the stakeholders and actors within a particular you know, systems, the health systems. And the, what the, you've got a couple of forces here that I consider um, in this is like this drive for personalization and then the COVID related um, change in, um, in, the, in, in, in workflows. So what we've, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a few things. So just in, in relation to this, so just first of all, in relation to, say, we can take hospitals on, on one level. Yeah. What's starting to happen there is they're now saying, well, We've ha- we we need to be able to get patients in without with with fewer touch points in advance, possibly, or having spending less time in the hospital and getting them out sooner. This has always been the case, yeah. you know, and this has been your know, efficiency through the hospital, the healthcare system. But with COVID, what's happened is it's become an imperative because you you need to have greater spacing between between the patients. And so you can't have less crossover in, in kind of in the, within the hospital and, you know, capacity has been reduced. But what you're seeing there is now there's some really interesting companies which are developing solutions around this idea of a digital front door for hospital systems so that now it's like people still come into the hospital, but there's a way of triaging them in advance and you can use AI chatbots to help kind of do this as well. These ideas of virtual waiting rooms, again, where people are can provide the information in advance they only show up and it makes sense and then there's this post discharge and it's been around for ages remote patient monitoring yeah. tools that help kind of and then you can have an extended care team that keeps the patients coming back into the hospital all of this has been around what's now is it starting to happen and I suppose one of the things um, that comes to mind is we're doing a, a meeting for, for our members in, in May with a with a company called conversa who um, who kind of technology business they've been working with a new york hospital system it's called northwell it's run by actually limerick man, michael dowling and these guys have been really thinking about how do they change their work practices and they brought in conversa and they've embedded it into their workflows so that they they now have they have you know ai bots that kind of and chat that kind of helps engage the patient's in advance, get them ready. Make sure they're on time. Make sure they've got everything they're they're prepped so that they and then you know that they don't miss their appointments. Number one, and, and then also when they're coming through, that they have a better experience. They feel more comfortable as well. And it's not just about efficiencies either. It's also about you know that the patients feeling that they've got more contact, and, yeah, more reminders, yeah. and and these can be automated. Yeah, like there's nothing. But people, there still is that they don't people don't particularly care necessarily if it's a bot that sent the, the reminder or whether it's a real person that's pressed send on something the fact that they've gotten it and they feel like okay I'm, I'm they, it's and it's efficient and
0: and and I feel comfortable and I feel I, I feel safe in it I, I love that phrase the digital front door to the hospital I think it's a lovely uh, it's a lovely turn of phrase and and that kind of notion of the digital waiting room and stuff you mentioned uh, covid and we can't have a conversation uh, at any stage these days without talking about covid but but presumably the world of healthcare pre-COVID and what's happened over the last 12 months, where as has happened in lots of sectors, where we've said something couldn't be done, it actually turns out that it can be done. Um, I presume the health system in general is is learning hugely and in a, in very efficiently from what's gone on over the last 12 months.
1: Yes, uh, you know, I think that that's the... the again, what, what I think and what I'm sorry from speaking with people is that the it's it's not so much that the the technology um is has was ever either the enabler or the or, or or the the hindrance it was actually around kind of i suppose work practices and the way people what they considered possible and and that's what comes back to so, you know so in one that person level that example of being able to see the physician you know virtually the and then the the prescription being sent to the to, to the to the pharmacist and picking it up. That's sort of you know, if I'd if I'd asked for that previously, it would have been like, what are you talking about? You know, come down here and take this piece of paper and walk up with it. And with, whereas now, like that's just that people's mindset have shifted. So what I see in in this world we talk about telemedicine and telehealth and this explosion of that. In in reality that's that's for I would see it as being kind of a pretty Standard thing, It's not that interesting, but what it's probably done is it's opened up people's minds to the possibility of where digital and technology can really enable, um, can, it, can enable things. So it's a, it, for many of us, you, you, it's been around for a long time, but now and it's become a thing, but it, it's probably a necessary that it has become a thing because it's been, it's been a way, a gateway. For people to see the possibility, and then hopefully develop even more kind of newer, new, and be more innovative in, in yeah. new, And what I what I see is really what it comes down to is like that the the that, that personalisation of care for people, and uh, and, and that's yeah. that's, the,
0: that's that's kind of. That's, that's the future, the, 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 the yeah. personalisation of, of health care. Kevin, I'm just out of time. I could talk to you all afternoon, but uh, thank you so much for coming in and joining us this afternoon. It's great to chat. And that uh, was Kevin Darcy of HealthXL. Thanks, Kevin.
1: Thanks, honour. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you. So moving on, each week we bring you one innovator, our one to watch segment, and this innovator has spotted a gap in the market. They're developing a new product to address that, and they're going to tell us the how and the why. And we've spent the morning talking about you know health and, and med tech. Um, we've a lot of success stories in this sector. We've you know Silver Cloud Health, we've Muritas, we've Health Beacon. Indeed, Jim, we'll be talking to a little bit later on. And Ireland is really producing some you know some really strong companies, uh, and, and it's something we're delighted to, to celebrate. And the one thing that all of those uh, companies had in common was that they started from from nothing. Um, And our one to watch looks at a company very similar early in that journey. uh, And they're starting uh, and building a global business. And they're going to tell us the why and the how. So this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Sinead Crowther, who's the CEO and founder of Soothing Solutions. Sinead, good afternoon and thanks for joining us.
2: Good afternoon, Connor. Thank you so much for the invitation to speak to you. I'm really delighted to be here.
0: Fantastic. We're delighted to to have you. So, um, firstly, tell us about Soothing Solutions. What do you do? I was reading manufacturing innovative products for your children's coughs and colds when I looked at your website. Tell us what you do.
2: Yes, exactly. So, we manufacture um, natural products that are there to promote comfort to young children when they're suffering from sore throats and coughs. Our products are completely natural, they're non-medicated, and there's no additives or preservatives. But what's unique about our products is a novel delivery system that we have developed to make it easier to deliver these solutions to children. Because, um, as all parents will know, it's getting these products into the child that's the battle. So we feel we've overcome this, and that child will be really accepting of our delivery system so that's what makes us really excited
0: Fantastic so just be, be very specific for our listeners so the delivery system that you're talking about the product is is almost like a it's almost like a lozenge or a, a lollipop that you're, the child is going to take
2: Well basically it's it's all the benefits of a classic adult throat lozenge but we've removed all the choke hazards um, I can't go into too much around the IP right now but that's essentially what it is it's a throat lozenge for children and we've removed all the nasty Uh, choking hazards, which makes it really um, appealing to all parents and uh, the pharmacy sector that we're targeting is us.
0: Fantastic. What prompted you to develop the product?
2: So I developed the product because I started working as a 15-year-old in transition year in pharmacies. And even back then, which was more than one or two years ago, (laughs) um, parents used to come in at the weekends and they'd be struggling to find something for their child's sore throats and coughs, because in Ireland, um, HPRA regulations uh, are very strict on what can be sold to children under 6 and as such there's very little that you can offer uh, young children when they've coughs or colds and dry coughs and sore throats. So there used to be these glucose barley sticks or licorice sticks and they were really glassy. Remember them? And um, sweets, yeah. And so we couldn't give them to children and parents would obviously buy pain relieving medicine like Calpol or Nurofen which is essential to manage pain and also manage temperatures. so You know, you'd always sell that. But in addition to that, to act locally at the site of irritation, like where the throat is inflamed or red or the the dryness, there was nothing. So these parents went away frustrated or empty-handed. And so far forward, 25-plus years later, I'm standing in pharmacies behind the counter as a technician, and the problem was still there. In other words, natural syrups, but they're very messy and sticky and sometimes the child won't take it. Or the yeah. mother or father simply just buys it because it's better than nothing and they really want to feel that they're buying something that will help as an emotional kind of need for them. So that need was still there and I thought, you know what, And um, this is my Dragon's Den idea. One day I'm going to do this. I'll, so
0: I'll go I for it. I'll go for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, you know, we all have great ideas, uh, but actually the, the implementation or the development of that takes a, a huge amount of effort. So talk to me about your journey from from standing behind the counter with that lovely idea to, to and you'll tell us where you are now, but how did you move the idea along to, to, towards implementation?
3: Right, so
2: for me, um, I was working long hours in pharmacy and struggling to find childcare and unfortunately on one such day I got a... Call every parent dreads um, with the words, there's been an accident for my mm-hmm. childminder and my son had had an accident at home. Um, I needed to take time off in order for him for, to aid his recovery. Yeah. And I wasn't used to being at home. Um, I was very anxious. I wasn't really sleeping a lot at that time. Yeah. And I said to myself, gosh, what about if I Google, how would you make this product? Like, so I have no background in manufacturing. And I sat down at 6 a.m. on New Year's Day 2017 and Googled. How do you make this product? And it brought me to a website, New Frontiers, from Enterprise Ireland. Right. Do you have an idea or concept you'd like to explore? And I filled in that form, and a couple of days later, I got a call from Enterprise Ireland to say they were interested in this, and I went in and I started New Frontiers, got onto New Frontiers phase 2, got some feasibility grant funding, and began research. And actually, my education in business, because I've always been an employee, I had never been a business owner, um, and from that I got innovation vouchers they explained how all this works contacted you know the universities and that's where it started really it started from there
0: Fantastic and the new frontiers are run by Enterprise Ireland uh, Exactly uh, um, and they're, I think they're delivered through the, the IT's the local IT's and stuff so, That's it um, yeah. and, a, and a fantastic uh, support but Bring us up to date, then. Um, so you you went on the new frontiers. You, yep. as I recall, you went in for the Enterprise Ireland CSF, and we were talking about that last week. You were successful there. I um, was indeed. Yeah, I, I remember your pitch. By the way, oh, <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and um, how have you developed? How, what's What's tell us about then the second half of that journey? Because you've made some some tremendous progress over the last twelve months.
1: Oh
2: gosh, yeah, it's been it's been surreal and so exciting. But and um, so winning competitive start fund was a real turning point because. You know i was just um this employee just were I, I still had my job in pharmacy three or four days a week and i was working on the idea but when competitive star fund came through i realized well my god of enterprise ireland are back in this you know i'm really onto something here yeah. and so took the courage the big step and gave up the job and then started on this full time and that's when i i got a co-founder to come join me because i realized this really has huge potential and i can't manage this on my own anymore Through Competitive Start Funding, that allowed me to improve on the prototype I had already built and then start to get consultants on board to show me how I could manufacture this product on a large scale that we would require. So that's what Competitive Start Fund did. And we are now, we opened our seed round in November. We're hoping to close that round soon. We're absolutely thrilled. And we are in the middle of building Air Force manufacturing premises. The product is so unique, we could not get any manufacturer to amend their process to make this product. And so we were forced to manufacture ourselves. But in a way, we're really pleased about this because we have full control over the manufacturer and we can protect all the IP around the product. So it's a big task, but we're enjoying every minute of it.
0: Congratulations, it's fantastic news. And um, you're, you're opening your own manufacturing facility here in Ireland to develop your own we product. Are.
2: We are so we secured a unit in Dundalk in a fantastic business park, and there's other businesses around, so we've great support there. And with the consultants we've met through the Enterprise Ireland network and the doors that opened for us, we also um, won a place on a program called FoodWorks, which is a food-specific program. Now, air food is classed as a functional food because there's uh, zinc and vitamin C to support immune function, and they kind of opened the door to manufacturing. With uh, there's a a collaboration with Chagas Bordia and Enterprise Ireland. So um, you have every element covered of your process that you need to manufacture. So that helps us pave the way now to to build our our unit and and make sure it's fully food compliant and we're meeting all our requirements. So a lot to do, but it's it's really thrilling, I have to say.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing, Sinead. So much congratulations uh, on on the journey that you're on. You mentioned you you have a seed round open at the moment. Um, What's that like? Uh, Are you investor ready? Are Are you chatting to investors and how's that going across for you?
2: Well, yeah, well, we've secured part of the round and we're just kind of, um, finalizing details with investors for the, for the final bit. But yeah, that was such a huge, huge and dramatic learning curve. I mean, just even the terminology, you know, you think you, you feel like you should have a business degree for this, but really it's baptism a fire. Are you really you learn fast as you go through this process and um, every day is a school day but you no know, we we talked to a number of investors you know we thought we had the deal done yeah. and typical entrepreneur style it fell through and then we were back to square one devastated but sure you pick yourself up yeah. and you go again and we were lucky we'd had such interest from um, the initial um, pitches we had done that we could pick up quite easily and we're almost there now. So I don't want to say too much and jinx at all, but we're, we're almost there.
0: Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, and you won't <laughs> yeah, jinx it at yeah. all. Um, brilliant. It, it's such a, it's such an inspirational story, and, and knowing uh, you as I do, uh, uh, you're inspirational as well. What is the vision for the future? In about 35 seconds, tell me, what's the vision for the future?
2: So the vision for the future really is to become a household name for this problem, just as a strepsel is for adults. But, you know, beyond that, we really want to revolutionise the way medications are delivered to children. And we feel like this can be adapted to the pharma space. So any medication could be added to our device and would make it much easier in a clinical setting to give these children their meds where it can be quite traumatic. So we really have big ambition and global global vision here. So that's what we're hoping for.
0: That's brilliant. Um, and so there's a product roadmap behind the initial products that you're developing. There's a there's a clear vision for the future and there's a, a very determined founder behind it, yes. may I say?
2: Yes, indeed. That's We, we have big ambitions, that's right. Yeah.
0: Fantastic. Sinead, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, your story is wonderful and the very best of luck for the future
2: that is brilliant Connor. lovely
0: to speak to you as always thanks for your support see ya that's uh, Sinead Crowther who's the CEO and founder of Soothing Solutions with her very inspirational story so far just before we move on uh, I wanted to um, to pick up on something we were discussing there which is and, and Sinead mentioned she's she's uh, looking for her seed round at the moment um, in common with so many other founders and we were, we were talking, you know, being investor ready and are you ever truly investor ready? Well, well, our view from the Dublin big side, and that comes from the development of many investor proposals over the years, it covers, uh, you know, both the actual documents uh, that you need, which are kind of your, your, your working documents, but also your vision and your investor, your vision of the future, as we heard from, from Sinead. So just for a little bit of inside track, uh, from a document perspective, You know, there's most definitely a pitch deck required. Um, There's a financial model that kind of lays out what you think is happening over the next certainly four years in a bit of detail with a most particular reference uh, to cash and how much cash is needed for you to execute this plan. And then, you know, a business plan or or an investment memo, uh, which kind of talks about what it is you're trying to do and your objectives and your numbers, um, ideally for a four year period. And our experience would say that while the actual numbers may change over time because which of us can accurately predict the future, the thought process and the structure behind your numbers, particularly in relation to the sales pipeline and the revenues is important because it adds credibility to the discussions and to you as a promoter. So having worked through most definitely the revenue and an understanding of who you're going to sell to and why you're selling and to when is really important. I think secondly is the investment opportunity uh, or the thesis for the business. What sort of a business are you trying to build? What will happen into the future and why would the investor want to be involved? And a lot of that as we heard from Sinead is around the passion uh, the the learned experience that she brought to the the table Um, and for you then as the entrepreneur being able to paint a picture of what the world will be like in the coming years and how that translates back to the business you're trying to build and I think we'll hear some of that from Jim uh, when we talk to him after the break. So by bringing both the physical documents together along with your vision and your passion and your knowledge uh, will most certainly make for a compelling story. So that's my inside track for today on getting investor ready. We'll take a short break here. Uh, We'll be back in just a moment for our big interview with Jim Joyce of Health Beacon. Don't go away. So welcome back to Startup Nation, our weekly salute to innovation, entrepreneurship and the technologies that are shaping our future world. Starting and scaling a business is tough, and each week we speak to a founder who has succeeded uh, to see if we can uncover some ingredient that might just inspire or motivate somebody listening in to us this Sunday afternoon. And today, I am delighted to welcome Jim Joyce, who is the CEO and founder of Health Beacon. Jim, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us.
3: Good afternoon to you. Delighted to be with you.
0: We're talking to you. You're in the States. I guess you're in Boston, are you?
3: Yeah, I'm actually um, in Florida at the moment. Lovely. Um but I'm moving between Florida and Boston over the last couple of weeks.
0: Fantastic. Uh, start us off, Jim. Actually, about Bo- you're a, you're a Boston man originally. What brought you to uh, What brought you to Ireland?
3: Yeah, my um, I, I describe myself as uh, American Irish instead of Irish American. Meaning, I, I was I was born in Boston, you know, raised in Boston, and I uh, went, you know, after I completed my undergraduate, I went to University College of Dublin and, and did an MBA. So I just kind of fell in love with the place, uh, met my wife uh, in Ireland and ended up my career, just ended up bringing me back to Ireland, running a pharmaceutical division for one of the big pharma companies.
0: So you you have a background in pharma and that's what brought you here. And and you came here working for one of the big corporates before then you you kind of went out and started setting up your businesses.
3: Yes, correct, correct. I was... um, what what drew me back to Ireland uh, after I had done an MBA years before is that Shering Pile Pharmaceuticals, you know, now Merck um, was looking to set up an Irish division, and I got the opportunity to work for them and kind of establish a, a division as a you know as their managing director. Um, so that, that's what that's what got me to Ireland working in the farm industry.
0: Fantastic, Jim. You've set up two businesses in the health area, and I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into the the journeys and and see what you've learned and, and share some some learnings with our our listeners. But first of all, we've been talking uh, this afternoon about the future of healthcare, and we're trying to figure out what's coming down the track. What does the future look like? Uh, before we start uh, about you, what's your sense on what's happening at a global or a macro level in healthcare?
3: Yeah, I, I think you'll hear this in the news. Um, it's, it's really a, a transformative period for healthcare and uh, how it's delivered globally. And I think that's kind of obvious to everyone. You know, we're all um, desperately waiting for, you know, vaccinations uh, to get into our arms in order to we can kind of go back to society. And we've seen healthcare systems at like this incredible rapid place virtualize healthcare, you know, rely on digital tools. Um, and before that might have been something where health systems are very slow to adopt, you know, new types of technologies, Um, and we're just seeing that health is central to everyone's minds right now. Doctors are using, you know, virtual tools and telehealth at a rapid pace, so we've seen about, you know, 10 years of innovation, you know, happen in in a year. Um, So it's a really exciting time. It's a really exciting time because, you know, the healthcare systems, frankly, are, you know, jumping ahead and meeting the challenge that's in front of us. Um, so, I mean, it's just uh, it's a great space to be in, and it's just going to be, you know, a phenomenal uh, period of time as we use, like, software and techniques and, and you know, everything that's happening from a science perspective um, to just just to transform how healthcare is delivered. So it's been, it's blow it's to adopt change, but that's all um, just been transformed over the last year.
0: And it's interesting because one of our earlier guests was mentioning kind of these rapid advances in technology coming up against healthcare systems, as you say, that have been slower to adapt and change historically. And are we are we on the cusp, are we on the verge of a kind of a shift in how how the healthcare systems embrace new technologies and new innovations?
3: Yeah, no, we are. It, it, it's happening. I mean, there's been, you know, if you, if you think about the whole area, we'll describe it as digital healthcare um, it's, it's it's been one of the biggest areas of investment over the last 10 years. You'll see, you know, you've seen billions of, of dollars go into digital health tools. Um, but to date, the actual adoption of those tools have been relatively, you know, they've been small-scale adoptions. And, the, like, the frameworks from a reimbursement perspective, from, you know, getting clinicians and, you know, patients to adopt these tools has been relatively slow. And we've started seeing now real significant adoption. Um, we've seen government step up and take it uh, very seriously, and starting to put in like frameworks. Whether it's in the U.S. through Medicare, or what's what's happening at the N.H.S., where now they're saying we need to reimburse for these pools, um, and we need to require that they're used. So I think I think a lot of the the this is it's now happening on a more permanent basis. I would describe in this real adoption of the tech right now.
0: So the 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 COVID uh, pandemic of the last twelve months has forced a change and possibly brought forward innovations that maybe wouldn't have happened for another five to ten years. You know we've seen it in in retail, we've seen it in other sectors that there's a forcing of that acceleration is happening.
3: Hundred percent. Now uh, you know a clinician now has to use uh, telehealth because in the past maybe they couldn't bring a a patient into a hospital environment because they didn't want to risk, you know, a, a COVID infection. Yeah. So, so what before was maybe there was an option that maybe you had some early adopters that would use tools like telehealth. Now they have to use those tools and it has to become part of their core delivery system of how they deliver care. And, and then systems have to set up and, and think about that from a long-term perspective. So, um, it's being completely adopted
0: right so, now. But. Okay, so so innovation is happening. We're a show about innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you. Tell me about Point of Care, which was your first startup. I think you jumped out of the multinational world and into this startup. What was the what was the genesis for that? How did that come about?
3: Yeah, so it was, uh, you know, I, I came to Ireland after kind of having, you know, lived in the US and worked in a number of different countries. And um, I was responsible for managing as a pharmaceutical executive, a pretty sophisticated portfolio of medicines that really dealt with um, patients that had very serious chronic and critical conditions. And my my first company, Point of Care, um, that I set up, tried to help patients that started therapy, you know, in a hospital or a tertiary setting, um, but really could be treated in the home or in in a clinic that was outside of the hospital. So Point of Care, you know, looked to kind of disintermediate that by setting up we set up a, a nationwide network of infusion clinics and a nationwide network of nurses um, that could provide support to patients that started their care in the hospital but could migrate into the community and just making it, you know, more accessible to them. So that was my, that was my first company and, you know, we worked with the HSD, we worked with the pharmaceutical companies to provide those services.
0: You were, you were probably well ahead of your time because it, it's, it's now we're starting to see this notion of, of the, the care at home and that the care comes to the patient as opposed to the patient going to the care
3: yeah, it, it definitely felt I was well ahead of my time. It was, it was a hard, it was a hard haul, you know, kind of convincing, uh, you know, people to embrace what we were doing. And we got it there. We, you know, we stayed we stayed with it. You know, Point of Care went on to become one of the primary uh, providers of home infusion care, you know, to the HSC, um, and we became one of the main providers to the pharmaceutical industry um, in, in in providing patient services program. It, w- it wasn't an overnight success by any measure.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, and some of the challenges uh, in that early journey with point of care what, what as you reflect back on them now what what kind of strikes or sticks in your mind
3: yeah i mean i, I na- naivety was probably my core attribute <laughs> the idea that i could come in as an outsider and i could introduce a different model of delivery of care um you know i had a lot of confidence uh, you know that i could do it um i could go at it you know i went into the marketplace and i raised capital Um, you know, from angel investors uh, in order to kind of give myself, you know, the framework and the, you know, the care system. I mean, the biggest challenge really is probably you almost hit it, which was, you know, the system wasn't quite ready for that kind of adoption of care and it, it it, it just took a lot of capital, a lot of persistence, um, you know, a lot of like keep pursuing and and staying on it and and accessing it. But it was, I think the the primary, primary thing is, is we were probably ahead of our time back to your point.
0: And in fact, you know, I, I love that phrase—the naivety. Uh, in many respects, that's a good thing. Uh, you were backing yourself. You didn't know what you didn't know, and uh, you just—you just pushed on.
3: Hundred, hundred percent. I mean, if, if I if I knew how hard it was, <laughs> you know, you, it would have been. I don't think it would have added up on the spreadsheet. I might, I might not have convinced my wife, that it would be. Yeah. A good idea. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that so that notion of not knowing what you don't know and just pushing on regardless and, and figuring it out as you go, I think it's, for a lot of the, the entrepreneurs listening to us this afternoon, that's kind of a common theme. Um, you were very successful with Point of Care uh, and exited that business um, and almost immediately you went straight back to Health Beacon. Um, had, had you not had enough the first time? You had to come back a second time?
3: Well, I, it's funny, I, I've been, I, I feel like I've largely been trying to solve the same problem whether it was as a pharmaceutical executive or, you know, as a as a patient services company with point of care, you know, the problem that I saw that needed to be solved in this case was, um, you know, patients there's uh, this whole area of, of what we call it injection therapy, um, where patients could be taught to self-administer their medications in the home setting, but um, it's not always easy for them and a lot of them kind of fail to actually comply with their medication schedule and ultimately get the benefit of those medicines. So there's a huge, it, it is a huge unmet need where, where patients really struggle and in this case with Health Beacon I saw an opportunity to introduce technology uh, to help those patients ensure that they could get the best of their medicine so I, I just became fascinated by the opportunity and specifically by the product that we had kind of invented in the space so yeah I guess I didn't have enough of it.
0: And we were talking last week to to one of our other entrepreneurs who talked about entrepreneurship as a continuum, that you kind of, there's no start and there's no finish, that the journey just evolves. And and just listening to their point of care, not that it was an unfinished story, but there were certain things that you observed on the healthcare uh, or the point of care journey that then informed how you moved uh, to develop Health Beacon.
3: 100%. Like we saw... You know, I saw a service app with going to Care, and then I saw an opportunity, really, that the Health Beacon product is we've taken a medical waste bin that every patient that goes on subcutaneous injection therapy is required to have a sharp spin, and we've turned that sharp spin, something simple, you know, into a, a patient support tool that helps guide the patients through the whole act of taking their medications in the home setting and practically helps dispose of it. So what was so exciting about this product, Dave, versus my first one, which is I saw something that it was a global problem. You know, I could build a product from Ireland, but I could sell it globally.
0: And g- explain to me, if you would, uh, the smart technology. Uh, I think we're all familiar with the notion of you take a syringe and it goes into a bin when it's finished, and that's a kind of a static or standard or dumb bin, if I right. may. You've you've made that into a, a smart bin, if you will. Explain that.
3: Yeah. So, so one of the primary challenges in getting. Um, you know, that the patient has is, is remembering to take their medication, um, and, and for the clinical system, it's confirming that they've actually taken their medication. Right. So what we've done is we've taken this simple sharp bin and we've encased it with this kind of elegant patient layer, and, and then in the act of throwing away your used syringe, we grab an image of it, and we confirm that the patient has taken the right medication at the right time. And then we turn that, we turn that record, that act of disposal, into a valuable health record that we can send back into the clinicians, or if we see a patient isn't, is not struggling to take their medication, we can, we can intervene and try to help them, um, you know, get to the right place. So it's a, it's a fact-built device. I mean, what are the, a core challenge for technology is how do you get people to adopt it? Um, and by us taking over something uh, like a medical waste bin that patient has to have, you know, we have incredible adoption and acceptance of our technology in the home setting because we're doing two things: we're we're introducing you know digital tracking, but we're also uh, in we're also helping them practically deal with disposing of it. And, and, it, and it, it looks nice too, like these yellow sharp spins Kind of they look, you know, typically they say hazard and you're sick on it, and ours is kind of elegant and almost, almost apple-esque.
0: And is that is that at to consumer level? In other words, if I'm if I'm I don't know, maybe a diabetic or uh, and I'm injecting is that is that in my home or is it confined to the hospital setting?
3: It's in your home. It's yeah. In, so, so yeah, in your home. So you would if you were a diabetic and you needed to inject, you would you would traditionally you need a sharps spin in your home to dispose of it, and that's what our product is. Our, our product encases a traditional sharps bin, and it does all that you know monitoring and tracking and builds out a whole uh, care management system. But it's in your home.
0: And what's the business model behind it, Jim? Who who ultimately pays for this? So is this is this the healthcare providers who want to understand that I'm taking my medicine? Is it the insurance providers? What's what's the model?
3: Yeah, so we started off working with the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. You know, um, you know my last company that I had built up, I was fortunate enough to have worked with, you know, kind of top global pharma companies. And they, in many cases, already provide support to patients if they go on their medications. So, we went to the pharmaceutical companies and we said, "You know instead of using a you know dumb sharp spin, you know, why don't you use a smart sharpspin and and convert you know the support that you're having to our digital tools. So that's how we you know we started off doing that in Ireland with some of the pharma companies and then and then they networked us into the um, into their global colleagues. So we've managed to get our technology into 15 uh, different markets through the pharma companies. Um, and then in the US, we'll be pursuing the insurance companies. So it'll be both pharma companies and insurance companies,
0: and the and the benefit to the pharma company or the insurance company from this data, what is that? I mean, what are they what are they looking to? I can understand from the clinician or the doctor, I'm taking my yep. meds at home. That's great. But to the other bigger companies who are who are supporting this, what's in it for them?
3: Yeah. So I mean, it, it's one of those situations where it kind of non-adherence to uh, you know critical life-saving medications. Um, you know, that can, you know, that patients require cost everyone, cost the system lots of money. So if I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm dispensed the medication, but if I don't actually take it, then, you know, if I'm a diabetic, I may end up in an emergency room and costing the healthcare system a lot more. So for the insurance companies, you know, they are able to lower their cost of care by making, you know, people more compliant with their medication schedule. You know, for the pharma company, patients don't take their medication, then the medication might be looked as ineffective. So they can provide support to make sure they stay on their schedule. So it's a case where kind of everyone has something to gain. You know, the clinician can see that their patients are complying to the routine that they've asked them to take. The insurance company can lower their costs and the pharma company can make sure that their medications are being effective.
0: Okay, so you've you've built, which is astonishing, you've built an ecosystem around a bin that sits in the corner of my house for 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 benefits for all. It's astonishing when you think about it, really. Um, yeah,
3: I, I'm blown away by it. I mean, it's for me, it's a it's a it's the project of my lifetime that we take something simple and practical and we just build on it. And um, you know, it's, it's it's a really cool company and project.
0: Jim, listening to you talk when you when you think about the entrepreneurs and the successful entrepreneurs. Is, what's the difference? I mean, is as I hear you talk about taking a bin and building an entire ecosystem around it and, and kind of the project of your lifetime, is the vision and the, you know, that, that, that ability to see around the corner and think into the future, is that the difference?
3: Yeah, I, I think it is. I mean, when when people, like, I, people talk to me and they feel like maybe I live a little bit too much in the future sometimes. I'm always thinking about what's next and what's happening. So, but what, what you'll find is that, um, all around us, if you just take a, take a moment to think about it, all around us, is there's all kinds of technology um, or technology opportunities that are there that are quite basic, but people just haven't taken the time to think about, you know, what is that, tech, you know, how could we apply that technology uniquely and um, in a different way that could have different benefits? So, in some ways, the technology is here. It's just that people don't know how to apply it yet or they haven't taken the time and the persistence to apply it. So, I think it's understanding know, where things are gonna go, where things need to go. But it but you know, take the whole area of telehealth. Um, you know, that's an incredibly important technology or tool. It just it has until COVID it what really wasn't being applied at scale. So I think seeing into the future isn't as hard as people think, I guess, you know, I would think about that.
0: And you mentioned yeah, yeah, so you mentioned then like uh, virtual health and telehealth and stuff. I mean, as concepts, they've been around for years. Um and we were talking earlier on about uh, is, is the time now for wide-scale adoption of them. Um, just going back to that kind of technology piece and thinking about that, does that mean that, that you know, thinking about some of those technologies that, that have been around for a while, is, is there time now and are there opportunities now to kind of go back and look at some of those and say, actually, now's the time for scale on some of these?
3: Yeah, completely, completely. Um, like you said, the, the concept of telehealth has been around forever, and, you know, what happens in healthcare or the way I think about it, or even let's say with Health Beacon is, is we're trying to find the last of, of the, the, the path of least resistance into the healthcare system. We know that clinicians are incredibly busy. We know that patients get confused by technology being thrown at them. You know, we know that insurance companies are worried about costs. So, so really it, when you think about these systems is you want to find, you know, how can the healthcare system adopt your technology? Without creating all kinds of um, challenges, because you know healthcare systems don't easily adopt stuff. So, you know, so I, I think I think that's my you know you know one of my pieces of advice. If you're going into healthcare, is is be very careful about the pathway you're trying to introduce your technology, uh, into because systems are very slow to adopt And If you can't find that kind of secret path where it's easy to adopt, um, then keep looking.
0: OK, that's a lovely phrase, find the path of least resistance. And it could apply to to any industry. I mean, in our case, we're talking healthcare, but for any entrepreneur and with the challenges of selling into big kind of corporates or big multinationals or, or governments, trying to find that path of least resistance is, is kind of really interesting. Can I shift slightly, Jim, and talk to you about scaling and, and growing businesses? Uh, and you've done it once. You're doing it again. And. Um, when you think of it, let's break it into kind of parts. So the first one is maybe around the customer acquisition piece. Acquiring customers, getting in front, of, in your case, in front of the large, entrepreneur, uh, the large kind of insurance companies or the healthcare providers. H- how have you mapped that out uh, the second time around?
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the second time around. I tried to build the company immediately for scale. So, you know, I was thinking about scaling the company from day one. And, you know, in the case of, you know, we were working with a big pharmaceutical company and we knew that could be a pathway, you know, that the pharma company could scale it within its own organization. And when I was hiring my team members, you know, that were coming into it, I made sure people had, you know, everyone had international backgrounds. They, you know, they just weren't focused on the local market. You know, when I was thinking about the technology platform, we were really testing out with my co-founder, Karen Daly. We were really saying, you know, if we put, you know, say cellular connectivity into our device, you know, could that also could that same device be shipped to the UK or shipped to the US? So every single piece of the business, the pathway, the business model, we were thinking about was it exportable? You know, mm. could it go into different markets? And that was probably the biggest thing for my first company, which is a services company, it was very hard to scale that into new markets without, you know, building infrastructure in each of those markets. So I think it's obsessing over assessing over everything you do has to be built for export and be built for scaling.
0: Okay. Obsessing over, uh, uh, I love that. Um, talk about funding uh, and the fundraising journey, which which often can be a, a kind of a long, arduous process. And you've you've done it twice now. You're continuing to do it with Health Beacon and did it previously. Um, describe some of that journey to us from the very early stage of, of raising the early stage funds to kind of rolling it on up uh, into Series A and beyond.
3: Yeah, I think a particular methodology for how I approach, you know, funding a new business, you know, that i kind of learned, I guess, you know, through it's been hard earned, you know, in terms of learning how to yeah. do that. Um, I really think about you, you, you kind of meticulously plan out the phases of the company and the, you know, what funding's required. So Ireland can be a quite a, a very good market for early stage funding. Um, you know, you have fantastic sports from enterprise Ireland, you know, I know organizations like DBIC um, people will step in, give you support. Uh, there's, kind of tax incentive schemes for angel investors, you know, to get some of their, uh, you know, the risk of their investment, you know, covered under say like the EAAS system. So there's a lot of good solid support and there's a generally a good cultural attitude, you know, in Ireland for giving some early stage support, you know, on investment. So I think it's, you know, it, it it's just meticulously thinking about, you know, what are we going to do with your funds in this kind of pilot phase, you know, um, in terms of building your first part of your product and, and really kind of gearing your investment, your pitch towards that first phase. And then and then on, upon success of that first phase, you know, then you start to go into, you know, more institutional capital. Um, and you have to be able to demonstrate, you know, traction for each of these phases here. So I think it's like, it, it's a process. You have to accept this process. You have to be very determined about it. And Ireland's pretty good at the early stage. You know, where Ireland struggles a little bit is, is in the scaling of capital. We have to start looking outside of Ireland, you know, for additional capital.
0: So so you're probably going off the island, you're, you're going to the UK or you're going to the US and, and you're going further afield uh, on that. Um, Jim, talk about exiting. Uh, not everyone gets to experience the, the kind of the exit. What prompted you? And not so much. About, I suppose what's interesting is why the exit? Uh, and we hear a lot from from entrepreneurs about, oh, I want to build it up and sell it on. Did you start with an exit in mind or is it just that as you were particularly with Point of Care that it just it kind of came on the journey and you picked it up as it came along to you?
3: Yeah, I think with Point of Care, um, we ended up building a really good partnership with um, an organization called Unifar. Yeah. And they, you know, so we, we got involved with them. Um, it was a great management team. Uh, you know, our organization really, Point of Care's opportunity to scale or ability to reach more customers it was going to be it was going to be much more evident inside a big organization like Unifar. Um, you know, they had the resources; they already had access to the customer base. So, so it was just kind of a it was a match for me. I don't think I designed it that way, um, but I enjoyed working with them. And I also, you know, I I need to think about for my investors. You know, how do I give them a return on their investment? Um, you know, how do I scale it? So, Point of Care felt like it needed that infrastructure. I think with Health Beacon, you know, how we're thinking about Health Beacon a little bit is. So many options for Health Beacon because you know it's a globally scalable technology. You know we might look at things like the public markets. Um, you know maybe taking the company public. Um, you know we obviously you know we we if, if, you know exit opportunities. So we're not we're not designing it for exit. We're just trying to design you know a very effective globally scalable business. Um, and then and then we have optionality here so I think there's, there's probably optionality that exists with health Weekend. maybe that was a little bit more of a challenge for me with point of care to be able to kind of hold on to the company and have it become
0: you know a big successful company that's based out of out Dublin but that probably the the optionality that you refer to probably also talks a little bit to to your experience it's the second time round and, and you've learned possibly what you didn't know about point of care in in developing those options
3: yes totally. Totally, totally. I, 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 there was there was lots of things I didn't know in point of care that I'm trying to apply every lesson. I mean, people ask me sometimes, you know, like, yeah, you know, why didn't I become an entrepreneur at age 22? And i was just like, I wasn't even close to ready at age 22.
0: I'm still I'm still not ready now, says you. Um, listen, last question, and we've about a minute left, uh, and we ask all our interview guests to finish us off with a with a piece of advice for the listener. So I'll ask you to do the same um, as a successful founder entrepreneur. Uh, What's the one thing that has helped you on the journey, a characteristic, your mindset, the value, domain knowledge? Uh, what is it uh, that if you were to give some advice to our entrepreneurs that they should be really focusing on?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think you have to, when you go, the advantage you have when you go and set up a company and you go into a specific area is that you can become an absolute expert in your field and you can you can go incredibly narrow into a specific area and know that business know that opportunity better than anyone else and i think people invest in expertise people are inspired by uh, expertise so I, you know one of the biggest and and big companies have trouble focusing on you know certain areas so so you know you want to leverage that expertise and then you want to enter the challenge of going into a you know an entrepreneurial journey knowing that it, it's it's a pursuit of a lifetime. It's a seven, 10 year journey that you're going on. If you're really going to build a company that, you know, can withstand the future. So you have to be ready for that. um, You know, those ups and downs and that persistence. And then if I give one last piece of advice, I'd say to people is, is, is is forgiveness. You know, you have to, you have to forgive yourself. Sometimes you have to forgive yourself for that pursuit. You have to forgive and you have to be willing to kind of, you know, you know, kind of, you know, dust yourself off quite a, (laughs) quite a bit and kind of, self up and go on and so you have to be willing to not be too hard on yourself
0: fantastic jim i'm way over time thank you so much for joining us this afternoon uh on the pursuit of a lifetime uh, your journey on entrepreneurship and the very best to look as you develop health beacon into the future pleasure enjoyed the conversation thanks that's uh jim joyce he's the ceo and founder of health beacon well that's it for this week i hope you enjoyed our discussion on the future of health Do join us again next week when we'll be looking at the future city and what that might look like. How will we navigate our way around the cities and the houses of tomorrow? We hope that the stories you heard today will inspire you. And if you're thinking of scaling an innovative startup and you would like support, do get in touch with us at startup at dublinbic.ie. Thank you and join us next week at 12 noon on Startup Nation.